Welcome to the Holistic High Performance Podcast with your host, Daniel Christofferson. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, people are eating at home at restaurants a lot less and cooking more meals at home, a lot more meals at home. But what are they cooking plays a big role in our health and our well-being. Now more than ever, we need to be taking personal responsibility for our own health. One of the best ways I know to do this is through our diet which has a lot to do with what we choose to eat and when we choose to eat it. I'm delighted to invite my next guest onto the show to share with you the fundamentals of what, when, and how to change your relationship with what you're eating so you can optimize your health and well-being. Mia Kara is a wellness coach focused on beautiful aging and, and embodied sensuality. Her approach starts from within by feeding your body nourishing fuel, which then allows your body to thrive. Mia began eating 100% whole foods in 1998 and loves watching jaws drop when she tells people she hasn't touched sugar since the 1990s. She's based out of the Bay Area and is looking forward to exploring more of the U.S. with her beloved son when he heads off to college next year. I met Mia about nine years ago when she presented a workshop at a business mastermind group. She's one of those people who just glows when she walks in a room. I've personally had private consultations with her and participated in a number of group cleanses she has facilitated. It is with great pleasure today that I welcome Mia Kara to the Holistic High Performance Podcast. Thank you, Daniel. I'm so glad you're here, Mia. And can you tell our audience a little bit about your own personal transformational journey from you were a lawyer and then you became a health coach? Yeah. Back when I was in my 20s, I I was in law school in my mid-20s and uh, I just wasn't feeling great. I was kind of always sick and um, a little bit overweight and I used to drink alcohol, a lot of alcohol and eat things like McDonald's and and then in the middle of law school, I just had this feeling that I needed to change something. Something needed to shift. I felt like I was never considered, I wasn't very embodied. I wasn't very feminine. In fact, I just, I knew that there was a beautiful woman inside. I just didn't know where she was. And I felt like I wanted to find her. And so the summer between my second and third year of law school, I decided to try to figure out food. I didn't really understand what was what and how to eat. And I'd just eaten a very standard American diet before that point. And so I went on a journey. And back then it was all about the zone and Atkins, you know, for those of us who remember the 90s, <laughs> the <laughs> mid 90s and um, or late, early to late 90s or mid to late 90s. And, uh, and I started to teach myself about food and switched over to a, basically a whole foods diet at that time and um, decided to give up sugar just on a whim to see what would happen. And that was probably the hardest withdrawal I've ever been through. Before that time, I was a complete sugar addict. I used to carry sugar packets around with me. I would eat sugar as since I was a child, I would do that. And I would hide them, you know, the wrappers from my parents. And I would, even as an adult, I would carry them around. So I, um, I went through a cold turkey sugar withdrawal and that was very challenging, but it was, you know, once the fog lifted, I felt amazing. And then I, it was like, then I, the next thing was, you know, refined grains. And then over the co- co- next couple of years, I started cutting out things that were more processed and went through various phases, but it didn't take long. I would say about a year before I started to, my, the weight started to fall off. I started to feel better. I started to glow. My skin looked better felt better. People started noticing. And so that was really amazing. And so it just kind of kept on going from there. 
what I've found over the years is that, you know, I'll try one thing, go, oh, the zone works and then it will work for like two years. And then all of a sudden it won't work. And then Atkins works and then this other thing works then vegan works and then it doesn't. And then, you know, so it's, it's like all these phases that I've gone through over the years. Um, but one thing is, is been remained the same is that I've never gone back to processed foods since 1998. I've never eaten white sugar or like high fructose corn syrup. I do have other kinds of little bit of honey or something here and there, but no refined sugar of any kind. I really don't eat dairy. Um, I don't eat any grains. I don't really drink alcohol. Maybe one sip a year is a lot for me. Wine Uh is lovely, but it doesn't sit in my system very well. And so I really maintained a hundred percent whole food diet in various forms since then. And, um, and I don't have some big story where I got really sick and then I got better. I just sort of preemptively had an intuitive hit that I needed to feel better. And it's turned out since then that I found out that I do have a genetic marker for celiac. My dad and sister have since been diagnosed with celiac. I think the only reason I've avoided it is because I stopped eating wheat in 1998. <laughs> you know, I just, I, before people even use the word gluten, I stopped because I just didn't feel well intuitively. So you really trusted your body. I just trusted my body. And, and I you've used your body as a laboratory to try out all these different things. I have. And I, my thing is, I don't know what works for me or anyone else. You just have to try it and see. Yeah. Right. And, and, te- and trust your body to know what feels good and what doesn't. And so because of that, I've actually, I think, prevented a lot of things. You know, I've never had any major sickness. As soon as I got off sugar, um, all PMS went away and that, never to return. I had terrible debilitating PMS back in my early 20s and younger. Um, that went to zero. And so that was, you know, so it's like everything just sort of disappeared and I haven't gone back to any of that, you know, so that's been kind of my journey. I know it's not very interesting, you know, to say that, like, I didn't have some big thing and I healed from it. I just very early on was very lucky to listen to my own body. And I sort of did preemptively a lot of the things that were good for me. And now I'm 47 and, you know, I'm just not really aging in the same way that other people are aging. I don't have, you know, the normal aches and pains. I don't have like, my teeth are perfect. I don't have any issues with my teeth. Like I, you know, my eyes are good. Like everything is just aging in a really beautiful way. And so I'm really grateful. And that, that's an testament to how you've taken care of your body. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, you, what you've put into it, how you, how you tend to it, how you listen to it. I listen to it. Yeah. So I, I love this quote from your website. I no longer wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to have a job helping other people feel better and be healthy. Yeah. So in 2003, you made a switch. You went to the Institute of Integrative Nutrition in New York. Mm-hmm. I did. So I, it, it was a lawyer back then. And 2003 was the year that I decided I was going to go raw vegan. I had spent Oh, maybe three or four months doing colonics because I had just done a couple of years of Atkins where I ate mostly meat and cheese and my colon had uh, decided it was, it was done with that. In fact, it was, it was, it, it was really hard for me to go to the bathroom at all. Like it got to the point where I think it was dangerous. Like people would ask me if I was sick, my skin wasn't right. I had dropped a whole bunch of weight. I didn't look right. So I decided to try raw vegan because that was the intuitive hit that I'd had. So and, you went from one extreme to another. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and that was amazing. My body loves that. It still does love that, you know, not all the time, but a lot of the time. And, uh, and so as, as soon as I went raw vegan, my personality shifted. I became softer. I became happier. Um, I used to be um, very uptight and kind of bitchy when I was an attorney and that all shifted. I, be- I just became, an, I became more, I think of what my natural state was because meat is very contracting and then all those vegetables and, you know, it was very kind of relaxing. And I just became um, 
just a much more empathetic, compassionate, nicer person. And I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore. It just didn't make sense to fight over things I didn't care about. Whereas in the past, it, you know, I didn't care. So, um, as soon as I, within about a month of switching over, I decided I couldn't do it anymore. And so I started to figure out how to get out of that and stumbled on the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in New York, convinced my husband at the time to move with me to New York, take the program for nine months and left being a lawyer. I actually took a job as a lawyer in New York. And then after a couple of months, I quit because I hated it so much. <laughs> um, and then I got pregnant in New York. And then that was, you know, I just never was able to really go back. And I decided I wanted to help people. I, I couldn't believe the transformation that my body made. I mean, even down to my nails grew in a different color, like more pink and stronger. I used to have weak nails and my nails, even to this day are so strong and grow so fast. I have to cut them constantly. And, um, cause I don't like long nails, but, uh, it was amazing. The transformation my body went through my skin, my nails, how I felt like it, it was it was unbelievable. And so I really wanted to support people in finding whatever their version of health was not necessarily raw vegan. I know enough to know that that doesn't work for everybody, but there's some version of eating healthy whole foods that would help. So that's what I did. I just kind of jumped from being a lawyer to doing um, nutrition coaching. So you're a health coach. What does mm -hmm. that mean? What, what, what do you help people with? Yeah. I mean, who comes to you? So. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the last couple of years, I've mostly been doing programs for people. We, one of the programs you participated in the, the group master cleanse, which is based on the master cleanse, which is a cleanse where you only consume lemonade, lemon juice, maple syrup, cayenne, and water for a certain amount of days, usually up to about 10. I've done it up to 40 a couple of times. And I started out at about I think I started out with 10 with you. And then I think by the third time I did it, it was, I, I did 40 days. So. You did. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. yeah. It's not hard because you don't get hungry and you get into a rhythm and it's a decent number of calories every day. So it's not, it's not too hard, but it really helps clear out all the mucus in your body. It just helps reset. It's really um, quite a profound experience for me. There's a spiritual aspect to it as well. So I yeah, started guiding people on those gosh, maybe 10 years ago or so and doing group because groups are great because people can, you know, talk about their experience, share their experience, the support from one another, support. you're cheering one another on, there's the celebration and totally. then just the stories. Cause I mean, it, it, while we're doing this physical cleanse in your body, there was also, you know, people were cleaning out their closets yeah, and totally. uh, yeah. Cause you're just like the energy that doesn't fit anymore. Cause your vibration raises so much. It was like, all of the stuff, you know, in your physical life just kind of started shifting for people in the groups. And I, I found yeah. that too. So, yeah, totally. And a lot of things can happen on a, on a cleanse, especially around your colon and elimination that might be out of the ordinary for you. And so it's really fun as a group to kind of share those funny stories as well. <laughs> and as those are clearing, share the other stories and it becomes a very vulnerable and sweet space. I find I really like doing those. And then also I support people getting off sugar because that was such a profound thing for me. Um, so I have a program doing that and then also helping people get really healthy, beautiful skin naturally. Cause you know, as you know, I I'm 47, I've never done anything to my skin, no Botox, no fillers, no facials, no peels, no invasive anything. You know, I use mostly edible things on my skin. I don't really wear a lot of makeup. Like I'm just have powder on my skin right now, a lot of good moisturizer, but I'm <laughs> just a little bit of powder. And, uh, and I really believe that we can, you know, maintain our bodies and we don't have to age in the way that we're supposed to age, you know, or supposed to, or whatever that we assume people are going to look. I, my whole goal is that I want to have a healthy body that does anything I want it to do for as long as I'm alive. 
and I'm okay with some wrinkles and aging when that happens, but like, I feel like the outside of my body is indicative of the inside of my body, as long as I'm doing the outside naturally. And so it's, it's, you know, it's just a way to, the skin is like a, like I said, a byproduct of the inside of my body also being healthy. Yeah. Aging is just the passage of time. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's, we're not supposed to break down and fall apart. It's all the things that, you know, we don't tend to along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a body worker, I see that with traumas and injuries that people have that, you know, that go unresolved. And so when we, mm-hmm. when we line those up, all of a sudden things start to shift and what you're doing is you're helping people do that from the inside out Yeah, and really making some lifestyle choices and changes you know, one of the things that you've talked about um, and that we've talked about a little bit was, you know, that process of getting off those processed foods of getting some of those mm-hmm. chemicals out of your body, the food additives and the other toxic materials in your life. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about, um, you know, maybe what are some of those, you know, four or five of those top kind of things that people can look for? Yeah, of course. Well, I have, before I get into that, I just want to say I have a kind of a rule for processed foods because it's nearly impossible to avoid them. Even how I eat, like when I started eating this way, there was no like healthy processed foods. There was no raw section in the grocery store, you know, it was produce and processed foods, but now there's a lot of healthier options when it comes to processed foods. And so my kind of rule of thumb is if you can look at the ingredient list and know what everything is and buy those ingredients at the store or ordered online easily at like a health food store online or something, and you can make it at home, it's probably fine. You know, it's just when you get into the ingredients, you don't understand, or they have things like natural. So one of them is natural flavors, you know, is code word for there's just enough something like MSG in here for us to not have to label it under the U S labeling laws. (laughs) You know, there's something in here that they don't actually want you to know what it is. And it's under the threshold of being forced to name it on the label. So things like natural flavors is a code word for something bad. If it was a real spice or a flavoring that was healthy, they could just put it on the label where a lot of the healthier labels do. So I have a category foods I call not suitable for human consumption right? And those foods are, at least in the sugar category, are um, high fructose corn syrup. High fructose corn syrup will destroy your teeth. It also prevents your body from like, when you're eating a normal food, like a, like a whole food, like a bowl of pineapple or something, your body sort of tells you when it's enough by changing the taste of it in your mouth. At some point, it'll be like, I've had enough pineapple. I'm good. You know, <laughs> but high fructose corn syrup, like takes away your brain's ability to do that. So you can just keep eating and eating and eating and don't, don't get that natural message that there's something that you should stop eating. And And a lot of processed foods are actually engineered that way. They're engineered that way. They sell, they sell more. They sell more. Exactly. They are engineered foods. Exactly. So So high fructose corn syrup, bad, bad, bad for a number of reasons. Also your glucose levels. And, you know, I read a, I read a study this last week. I can't, I can't cite it right now, but I'm sure it's findable where there was a study on your level, your glucose level of COVID patients that were admitted to the hospital. And there was a hundred percent correlation with people who had normal glucose levels, not having to go to be intubated and put in the ICU and people had high glucose levels did. It was like, so the glucose is that, that sugar level in our body. Sugar level. And that high sugar level leads to a lot of inflammation. Mm-hmm. And it was a hundred percent correlation in the study they did. Yeah. So they're saying that, you know, that, so getting your blood sugar down and eating less sugar in general, you know, a little white sugar is not great. I would recommend taking that out completely, but it's the high fructose corn syrup. that's really the, the really bad offender. The other offenders are um, things that have like aspartame, 
that is it, it aspartame can bypass the blood brain barrier. The blood brain barrier keeps like the really bad chemicals out of our brains to protect our brains. Aspartame actually can get past it. It's called an excitotoxin and it can sort of like excite parts of our brain to death. And so there's, it causes a lot of headaches is kind of the first sign, but it, it's not great for our brain. So aspartame, I know this is not a popular one, but canola oil is originally it's called it's rapeseed oil rapeseed is a very strong pesticide that they canola oil is like a genetically modified rapeseed to take out the pesticide they say but really it's not great it's not great for our brains either there was a study years ago that i read that i can't find anymore um that this was like 20 years ago that i read this where when in great britain they were having mad cow disease and they were putting mm -hmm. the canola oil in the mad cow i'm sorry in the cow feet and when they took the canola out of the cat feed, the mad cow went away. It's a pretty strong correlation there. And uh, now those studies are not findable. And that's, that's pretty common. There's a lot of stuff mm -hmm. that used to be out there that's just not available. So now. I won't touch it, but I know that some places like Whole Foods still put it in some of their prepared, although they're not preparing foods anymore, but you know, it's still there, but I feel like it's, it's better for our brains just to stay away. There's other options. They use it because it's very cheap. Things like olive oil are more expensive, yeah. um, but much healthier for us. It also um, a little bit more stable than olive oil and some of the other oils as well. Yeah, so, totally. Um, um, partially hydrogenated oils are really bad for us. You know, it's better, best just to stay with like, you know, good fats, which, you know, are saturated fats or like fats like olive oil or, you know, coconut oil is more of a saturated fat. I like saturated fats. I know there may be some controversy around that, but, but I do think that, you know, some saturated fats are really good for our skin and not like healthier ones. Ones from olive oil is, I mean, I mean, from um, coconut oil is a good example of like a really good, like healthy saturated fat and butter, like good, like grass fed butter. The way you can tell a saturated fat is that they're solid at room temperature. Yeah. You know, if it's, it, but the, um, Things like olive oil are also really good. What are some other things on the list? Um, food colorings. All, like all of food colorings. Yeah. I mean, basically anything you wouldn't put in your food at home is, is something that you just don't want in your food. You know, I, I mean, I know this is a little bit like even processed grains. I find those to be a bit challenging. Um, yeah. One of the things that I noticed, you know, we've gone to VegFest in Seattle. It's one of the mm -hmm. largest vegan kind of shows in the country. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, over the years, it's been fascinating because I'm like, where are the vegetables? What they've done is they've replaced mm -hmm. so many, they've replaced processed foods with what they call healthy processed foods, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and they're I all just processed. Junk yeah. Junk food, vegan. And <laughs> all those. And many of those things have even more ingredients than if you ate just the regular one, you know, they've, they fractured so many foods and tried to mm -hmm. combine them and bring them together. So totally. And a lot of those things are still processed grains and they're going to affect your blood sugar, just like sugar would. And that's going to affect your glucose. And it's just not healthy for us as humans. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm really, I, I eat raw vegan a lot or vegan in general, although I have started eating meat because I've had to monitor my iron levels a little bit more these days, but I do find that it's, um, you know, if you're going to eat more vegan, it's really about vegetables, you know, and whole, and if you're going to eat, if you're going to eat grains, it's got to be whole grains like brown rice or quinoa or, you know, something like, but having like the, you know, and some of those like gluten-free vegan things, there's like potato starch and tapioca starch and they're not terrible, but they're just not good for your blood sugar. They're not good for your health. They're not adding any nutrition. They to also your body. kind of help your 
digest and become more sluggish, right? Yeah, exactly. The whole foods take a little bit more for your body to, to, to break down and it's good for our bodies. It's like exercise for the digestive system, you know, (laughs) forces them to forces your digestive system to, to work a little bit more, which, which is just healthier for, for our bodies. So, you know, we've talked about some of these different foods and I know one of the things you mentioned in the bio is that you haven't eaten sugar since the 1990s. Tell us a little bit more about what sugar does to the body. Yeah. Well, I mean, sugar is a little bit different for everyone. You know, one of the things that I've learned over the years working with so many people is there's a lot of different kinds of sugars and people react to different kinds of sugars in different ways. Meaning like sometimes a, a kind of sugar, like for me, example, for example, a little bit of raw honey. I don't have a reaction to a little bit of fruit. I don't have a reaction to, but I have like any bit of coconut sugar or date sugar. And I might as well have just, you know, shoveled white sugar into my mouth, you know, for me personally, and everyone has a different reaction, you know, for me, it so gives what does me that a- reaction feel like for you? How, yeah, how, for do, me, how, how do you describe that to us? Yeah. Well, for me, it, fi- it makes me angry and I want to isolate myself, which I know is kind of strange, but I think that's why I was so such a good attorney when I was younger is that I was angry all the time. I was eating sugar all the time, sugar, makes me feel angry. It gives me a headache. It like contracts my body. I don't feel good. I get a little nauseous. Well, now I get very nauseous, but it makes, another thing was it always made me want to isolate myself. I didn't want to be around people, which I think was the big shock when I went off sugar. And I was like, people, I like you, you know, (laughs) there's a sweetness here that I'm not getting from the sugar that I'm eating. (laughs) That's a very good way to put it. (laughs) Much more nourishing than eating all the sugar. So and I didn't realize that that cycle was happening because it wasn't, so I wasn't getting like the, at the time when I was eating so much sugar, I wasn't getting the, I mean, I was getting physically sick, but I wasn't connecting it to the sugar intake. It was very emotional for me, mm-hmm. and very mental. And so once I got off of it, my whole system just balanced. Like I said, even my, my period balanced, my personality balanced, my desire to be around people balanced, my emotions balanced. So that was, that, that was how it affected me. It also felt very addictive, you know, which for me is a sign. The interesting thing I've been thinking about this a lot lately, the things that I feel addicted to are often the things that are very bad for my body, but I crave them. It's mm-hmm. very confusing. And I think addiction is confusing in that way, you know, because we have, we have a message telling us to eat that or drink that or have more of that. That's going to make you feel better. It's going to balance something. It's going to feel good. But then the reality is, for me at least, it, it, those are the things that make me the sickest. So I don't totally understand the mechanism of that, but I have found that to be very true for me over the years. You see that with the uh, clients that you work with as well? Totally, totally. And the things that are healthy for me, I don't always crave them as much, but when I eat them, I don't crave them again. I can have one of this thing and then I'm, I'm good. You're you know, satiated. Yeah. It's the difference between like when I got off regular ice cream, which honestly was the hardest thing that I ever, I had to go through like a full breakup process, like, you know, denial, (laughs) depression, anger, (laughs) bargaining (laughs) back then they didn't have good substitutes because it was the nineties. Right. So when, um, when things like coconut bliss came on the market, you know, 10 years ago or so, a little more than 10 years ago, I found that I could have like a spoonful of it and I was good. You know, which for me, ice cream in the past was like a half gallon at a time, minimum, so, you know? There's a concept that I share with my clients a lot, um, mm-hmm. you know, that foods, they give us energy or they take our energy away. Mm-hmm. And uh, the concept is called the dead bite. 
And so there's this element of, you know, we see that ice cream or that rich decadent chocolate cake and the first bite we eat and it's like our whole system lights up and mm-hmm. it's like, wow, this gave me so much energy. This is amazing. Yeah. And then we like that feeling so much. So then we, we go, I'm going to have another bite. And so we have another bite Yeah. and maybe it gives us energy too, but not as much as that first bite. Mm-hmm. You know, but maybe the third bite or the fourth bite, it actually starts taking our body more energy to process than we actually gained from it. Yeah. You know, and if we finish that slice of cake or the bowl of ice cream or the carton of ice cream or whatever it may be, (laughs) you know, we often feel less energy in our system than we did had we just stopped at that first bite when we had the game. Totally. And, you know, and I also found there was a big, there's a big distinction to be made and I don't, on the way people handle uh, moderation. Like I'm not a person who does moderation. Well, I'm an all or nothing kind of a person. Some people are moderate moderation. So there's some people that can be like, Oh, you can just have a bite of this or just do everything in moderation. And I'm like, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense to my brain at all. Right. So for- I find that in my family. Um, yeah. you know, I'm the person I can, I can have the chocolate bar and it can sit there for a month and I can have a square <laughs> at a time and I am happy. Mm-hmm. My partner or my daughter find the chocolate bar and it's one serving. Totally. And, and so people are just challenging. Different. Yeah. yeah. It's and challenging. it's not, I want to know it's there. I actually <laughs> like to know that like, okay. Cause if it's not there, then I go searching for something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. I've learned to be more like that over the years after I've gotten out all of my addictions, but it's, it's challenging. So when I work with people, there's kind of a distinction to be made because if you're an all or nothing kind of person and somebody is just like moderation, it's really hard. It's really hard. And the way I, th- I tried to explain people is if you're an alcoholic, cause that's more of like a socially acceptable, not mm-hmm. acceptable, but you know, it's, it's a more well-known strong addiction. And we know that it's more of a physiological thing. And it's, you know, the food addiction is very similar to that. And if you're living with an alcoholic and you don't keep alcohol in the house, yeah, exactly. You know, but it's hard for people who do the moderation thing, but it's really good for people to understand how they function and be okay with that and accept that so that you can make systems around that. Like I know there's certain things that are even like, you know, healthy for almost everybody, but I can't have them in the house because I will eat it all and I don't need the calories. So they're like a special on the road. Like if I'm driving through whole foods, you know, I can get one, (laughs) Um, but it's interesting. I think it's really important to just um, note that because it's, it's an, we're just different. Different preferences. I mean, we're different all individuals. Our bodies need different things. Yeah. Yeah. So you've mentioned Whole Foods a number of times here. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about the grocery store. No. <laughs> <laughs> Can you explain to our audience, kind of listeners, what Whole Foods are? Yeah, and exactly. why they're important for us? So Whole Foods are things that you like pick off of a plant or off of a tree or grow in the ground or from an animal, you know, it's fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, grains, dairy, meat, seaweeds, algaes. I call them bee magic things like bee pollen and honey. There are things that don't, that are just one ingredient. It's just that, you know, and um, they don't come with labels. So this is where it gets a little bit tricky. I, you know, if you don't eat with labels, but they don't come with labels because they're just one thing. And that's really whole food. It's in its whole state. I mean, some things are broken down. Obviously, if you buy some meat, it's not in the whole animal. There's certain things that are more like you use the word fractionated, like olive oil, for example. That's not really a whole food. It's more of like, you know, it's the oil comes from, you know, the processing been, of the olive. Yeah, they've, they've pressed it. and they, they pressed it. Remove the solids <laughs> and left the oil part. Exactly. So when I say I eat a whole foods diet, I mean that I 
eat meals based on whole foods. So for example, in the morning right now, I really like, um, like eating a little bit of nuts, like a little bit of almonds and pretty much everything I eat is organic. So almonds or Brazil nuts, or sometimes a little bit of almond butter is really great in the morning. And then for lunch, it might be a big salad with as many greens and herbs as I can think of, plus other vegetables, maybe a little bit of meat of some kind, because I'm trying to eat more meat these days, maybe some seeds. And I usually put a little olive oil on it. I like olive oil, you know, dinner, maybe some, some vegetables, but each vegetable is kind of put in. I don't eat, I'm not even at this point, I'm not even sure like what (laughs) the processed foods would be, I guess, things like pasta or things that come in a, like a box or something. Everything I eat is out of the refrigerator pretty much, or a piece of a produce item that sits on my counter. Like I just got some um, butternut squash, which I only eat this time of year. I'm very excited to, to cook that. Um, I do cook some foods. I eat a lot raw, but I also, in the winter especially, I do cook some warming foods like, you know, sometimes some sweet potatoes, sometimes some squashes and things that you can't really eat raw. I love mushrooms. So mushrooms this time of year too, you can't really eat those raw as well. So I kind of mix those all together and I just, every meal is a combination of fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, you know, now a little meat. I don't eat so much. I don't eat dairy or grains really, but I eat see a lot of seaweed in every meal. I, I actually buy seaweed and put various things in, in meals, mushrooms, a lot of variety in your diet, a lot of variety in my diet, but they're all whole foods. I, it wasn't until this year with the pandemic that I realized that I have no stock. I don't have a pantry. I have no stock of foods. Everything I pantry is like a powdered superfood of some kind, you know, like I don't have actual foods. So it was actually a bit of a chore for me this year to go out and be like, oh, I should probably stock a couple some more rice on hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I actually had sweet potatoes. Yeah. Like what are things that stay? Cause I usually just go to the store every couple of days and, and stock up on fresh produce is how, um, is how I operate. And that's and there are places where fresh produce isn't available. So, you know, buying frozen produce is another way to do that. Um, yeah, you know, totally. oftentimes it's often frozen is often fresher than, you know, kind of what's in the store sometimes. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's just, yeah, the produce is where all the, the nutrients are, right. All the, the veg, the, and the, the minerals and the vitamins and the different colors of produce have different kinds of, you know, vitamins this time of year, you know, in the winter, it's all about dark greens and dark oranges provide vitamin C and vitamin A to keep us healthier. It's that concept of eating the rainbow, rainbow. eating all the different colors of the rainbow, because all of those different colors have different nutrients and things associated with them. They do. And in the summer, nature provides us with like purples and blues and reds, which is where all the antioxidants are like in berries and such that help protect us, protect our skin from the sun, which we don't need as much in the winter. We need to stay healthy with vitamin C. So it's really interesting how nature provides all those bright colors at different seasons. And so that's what I focus on each season is eating the, a lot of the color that's in season. So there's a slogan often that you hear called eat local, eat seasonal, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's really that eating seasonal is helping keeping you in tune with the cycles of the natural world around us. Exactly. Because nature provides us with the foods and the nutrient spectrum that we need for our local area in the climate that we live in. Like it's so magical that way. It's so magical, right? Like in Northern California, where I am, we get, you know, in the winter, we get persimmons, we get winter squashes, we get kale, we get the dark oranges and the dark greens Mm -hmm. because we don't, there's no sun here in the winter, right? And if it is, it's too far down on the horizon to cause any skin damage. 
And, but in the summer we get all the berries, we get all the purples and the blues and you know, that blueberries and berries in abundance everywhere in the summer. So it's really magical, but there's no, you know, but if you go to Hawaii where it's warm and tropical, you get very high sugar tropical fruits, which are amazing. Cause if you're in a high humid area, you want to be taking in more sugars, more electrolytes. You've got coconuts that literally provide you with a cup of electrolyte water to drink right off the tree. I mean, how magical is that, right? <laughs> um, where that kind of, those tropical fruits don't grow in climates like Northern California, because honestly, it doesn't get warm enough here for us to need to drink electrolyte water off of trees. But in Hawaii, it is. So nature provides that. I mean, it's really incredibly magical. You know, that, that's the importance of understanding, you know, what is your environment? What, what does grow there? Um, you know, we, we get disconnected from that when we go to the grocery store and we have these things available all year round mm -hmm. at yeah. great expense to our, our bodies and also the environment, you know, of shipping these things and trucking things and, you know, bringing all those fruits and berries up from South America in the middle of the winter. Totally. And it's not because it's not just like this cool, like hippie thing to do or whatever to eat that way, eat local, eat organic it really is for our own health and our own bodies. Like nature is trying to tell us like, Hey, this is what you need in the winter. This is what's growing here, you know? And unfortunately some of climates are very far North and can't grow a lot in the winter. But, you know, if you look a little further South and, you know, especially in the United States, that stuff is, it can be shipped up there, but um, but then there's yeah. different things, you know, I mean, the salmon mm -hmm. run during that time, mm -hmm. you know, there's apples, there's, um, you know, so there are, there are foods there available too. Yeah, totally. And I, I, you know, it also goes back to, you know, the grocery store, like you said, of just when you go into, let's say a whole foods, there's a lot of things that are available year round. So it's hard to know what's what I love going to the grocery store because I walk in there every single time without fail, whatever grocery store I'm in. And I always pause before I go into the produce section because it's like, oh my God, it's just here. Like, I don't have to grow it. I have, I have had many gardens over the years and I love growing food, but you know, I'm not able, always able to do that. And so the fact that we have a whole system set up with people who are growing this food for us, that they are picking it and it's hard work to packaging it, packaging shipping it, it, shipping it displaying and, it and we just show up and it's just there magically every day because all these people and all the systems are there but like i think food is actually too cheap like i think that we should be paying more you know and i think that organic like i i love the fact that you could go you know to whole foods any morning and it's full of, and, uh, of everything and in fact i'm not trying to promote whole foods i just know it's more available than other stores mm -hmm. actually i think there's especially in the bay area grocery stores that are way better than whole foods I think they've gone down a bit in the past couple of years in quality, but still super grateful for them to be providing as much organic as they do right. as many places as they do. But it's so magical to be able to just walk into a, an organic grocery store in the morning and it stopped like every day. How magical is that? And so, you know, it's, it, it really is fun to imagine. I always imagine where the food comes from. I know that kale grows right out of the ground. So every time I eat it, I imagine growing out of the ground, you know, fruit, berries are often are picked from bushes, you know, fruit comes from, often comes from trees, you know, root vegetables are coming out of the ground root, you know, out of the ground. They're very grounding. Squashes so I, grow on the ground. They grow on the ground and there's an energetic to that as well. But I always imagine like where they came from and, you know, what they look like when they're in the ground. And like, I can see the whole process. And I always, I don't, I don't often pause before meals to give gratitude, but I'm 
constantly giving gratitude from the moment of the grocery store to cooking, to eating, because it really is magical. Like that's life for us. That's life force. You know, well, I when, we, yeah. when we give gratitude, we're, we're sending a little energy back mm-hmm. and we're acknowledging that whole chain and all of those people that are there. And in some ways to me, we're actually energizing the food that we're putting into our bodies. We're, we're, we're you know, giving it that appreciation. We're, get, we're yeah. honoring the spirit of the animals and the plants and those mm-hmm. things that had their giveaway to us to help us thrive. And yeah, yeah. So one of the things that we often see is there's this belief that if some is good for us, more is better. <laughs> <laughs> so explain to me what happens. So I mean, we're talking about, you know, when you eat seasonal like that, you're, you're not eating the same thing all year round. You know, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people that eat one thing or they find out something's good for us. So I know your body can get overloaded with things if we have too much. So uh, tell us like nuts and kale. I know those are two examples. What happens if we have too much yeah. kale? Well, like it's different raw kale. for everybody. It's different for everybody. I have a lot of foods that I can only have so much of. Mm-hmm. Like avocados, I actually have a limit on those. I have to take breaks in the winter. I take breaks from avocado because they're not in season. In the summer, I, I can't have more than a half or one a day. But I'm one of those people that can have unlimited amounts of raw kale and I feel amazing for like 20 years, but I know some people can't do that. And it it also depends on whether you run more vata or more pitta or more kapha. People who run more vata, which means they carry their energy a little higher in their body and their heads. They tend to run a little colder, have a little harder time with digestion, taller, thinner, not always, but some of that energy. Have a harder time with kale. You know, it, it can be um, hard for them to digest. It can cause a lot of air in their system, gas. Is, there, is it the oscillates in the kale? or There is some of that. And some people react to that as well. So it really just depends. And some people can eat a lot more of it if it's cooked. Some people can be fine if it's raw. It really just depends. And this is where it comes back to checking in with your, with your body, you know, as to what works and what doesn't. Nuts are a very interesting thing as well. Sometimes nuts can be very stagnating. Sometimes they can be very, um, I mean, think about what, so this is where it's really interesting to think about what the food is, right? So what is a nut? I ask people this all the time. Like, it's what is seed. a nut? It's a seed. I mean, it's-, it's Of what it's a, though? Of what? A tree. Yes. It's a tree seed. So that's a lot of energy in a nut, right? (laughs) This is not just like a little seed that's going to grow a little six inch flower out of the ground. This is like a tree seed. So there is a large amount of potential energy and nutrients in that. And if you're in a growth phase, you know, whether you're growing physically or you're trying to grow muscle or you're growing a baby, then nuts can be really good. I happen to really just like them and I can have a little bit every day. You know, I can't have a lot. If I get a lot, then I feel kind of not so good. If you're in more of a cleansing phase or reducing phase, nuts are not great. And there also can be an allergen for certain people. So different nuts can have allergy reactions with various people. So you kind of have to be careful with nuts. Like, like they're definitely one of those foods for me that a little bit is, is good of certain ones and a lot is not better. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Any other foods out there that kind of you run across that people are like, Oh, this is great. And I just want to eat it all the time. And that they end up having a kind of adverse reaction to. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's a lot of things, you know, cacao is one of them. I eat a lot of cacao as you know, I make raw chocolate, although I'm making less of it these days. I do find that breaks from cacao are good for me. And the way I know if it's good or bad is if I take a break and I don't miss it for a couple of weeks and it's probably a good thing. But I, I notice how I crave it because I don't eat chocolate that you'd buy in a store. I take mm-hmm. raw cacao and I mix it with a little raw honey 
and I make my own. So it's more of a super. I, food. I've had your chocolates. They yeah. are absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah. like mouthwatering, melting, like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I take breaks from that as well, you know, because sometimes it just doesn't feel like it's contributing things like um, nightshade nightshades have a lot of, I think they're called lectins. Is that what they are? The nightshades are your tomatoes, your tomatoes, bell peppers. peppers, potatoes, tobacco, um, not that you eat tobacco, but eggplants. Eggplant, yeah. Um, and there's a couple other ones, but those are the big five really with nightshades. It's they're, they're an interesting, what I understand is they like to grow alone. Like a lot of other vegetables kind of grow in tandem or they work good in groups, but nightshades like to grow alone and they have this thing called lectins and a lot of people have reactions to them, especially if you have type A blood. So I do like the nightshades, but I try to avoid them. When tomatoes are in season, I do have some tomatoes like August, September, because they're just so good, but I try to avoid them for the rest of the year. Yeah. So you're, um, you're mixing it up, you know, that eating seasonal, eating when they're there and they're yeah. warm and there's nothing like a warm tomato right off the vine. I know it's so good. And I do find that almost across the board with clients that the, a lot of times I'll say like, oh, this doesn't work for me. But the reality is it probably doesn't work for them because it's not in season. Yeah. But if they just ate the food while it's in season, it's and way, the way you can often tell if it's in season, if it's, if it's organic and it's grown in your state or close to your state or in your area of the country, it's probably in season. So once again, that local. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If it's in season for your local area, I find that a lot of people don't have problems with it, but if they're eating blueberries in December, they don't, one, they don't taste good and they're not local and in season. So the body can have a bit of a different reaction to it. There is nothing that makes me happier. There are a few things that make me happier mm-hmm. than being able to pick berries out of my own yard or warm tomatoes off the plant. I mean, that that's just, it's my happy place in life. And it always yeah. has been since I was a little kid. It's so good. I know it's so good. The, the tomatoes in the, in the late fall or the fall is just the best. Let's take a little short break right now and we'll be back in just a minute. You can find out more about the Holistic High Performance and sign up for our monthly newsletter at holistichighperformance.com. That's holistichighperformance.com. And we are back with wellness coach Mia Kara discussing diet, nutrition, and embodied eating habits. Welcome back, Mia. Thank you. So many of us grew up with this indoctrinated kind of belief system that we had to finish everything that was on our plate. You know, we hear the story, there are starving children all around the world, or, you know, be a member of the clean plate club. Talk to me a little bit about portion size. And, you know, we, we tend to want to supersize everything in the United States, you know? And so one of the things I love about traveling overseas is, you know, the variety of that, but it's also like you get served a smaller amount on your plate. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's often this belief system that we have to finish everything that's there. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's different for, for every person. And I think, you know, when you start tapping into your own body and listening, you may not need as much as you're eating. It's, it's really different. I mean, I've, I've, I've noticed during periods of my life, like when I was pregnant, that I needed a lot more calories, a lot more food every day. And times when I'm not that I, I can go, you know, I can water fast for 10 days without blinking. And so it's a, it's really interesting how our bodies, it definitely ebbs and flows. And the reality is I think we all need a lot less calories than we take in. I hate to count calories or think about calories too much, but 
there, you know, there is a lot of, a lot of um, truth to that. That again, it's that idea of, you know, if we're putting too many calories in, uh, it takes a lot of energy from our body to process all of that food. Mm -hmm. You know, are we really, do we ever give ourselves a break? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I know this idea of intermittent fasting is pretty common right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you share a little bit more about what that is and how that works? Sure. I mean, I've been doing that for decades, (laughs) pretty much. Um, The theory behind it is that um, the body needs a certain amount of time every night to really like do its detox and cleansing functions while you sleep. It's why we need enough sleep as part of that process. Like it's not just we're sleeping for rest, we're sleeping so that all the functions in our body can, you know, clear out and reset and our, you know, everything can just work in the way that it's designed to work. And you know, there's also a theory that if you can not take in calories for a certain number of hours every night, that you actually don't ever need to really cleanse, that you're getting enough of a cleanse every night. And it's different for different people. You know, they say, you know, 12 to 14 hours a night of not eating is kind of a, a really good, healthy thing to do. And it's actually not that hard if you think about it. 12 hours is, you know, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. 14 hours is 7 p.m. to 9 a.m. So it's really not that much. Now, in the last couple of years, it's gotten much more popular to do longer periods of fasting, which, you know, could be 16 hours or even 20 hours for some people. I often do a 16 hour period. And I want to say this is, I know when I talk to people who are just starting at intermittent fasting, just like anything else, they're like, I have to do this exactly the same every single day. You know, I have to eat vegan. Like it's a, you know, dogma. It's not the case. Listening to your body is that you can set a goal and some days that works and some days that doesn't. But generally if, you know, leaving your body a longer period of time to fast can be really healthy. So the way that I do it personally, generally, is I try to stop eating by about seven So after that, I'll just consume like tea or water or whatever. And then um, it helps me so much going to sleep. I sleep better Mm -hmm. when I do that so much better. If I have food in my stomach later, it's harder for me to go to sleep. So it's easier for me to sleep that way. And then when I wake up in the morning, I like to do what I call a fasted walk, meaning I go get up immediately, have some water, and then I go out walking for 30 to 45 minutes briskly Mm -hmm. Um, and doing a little bit of exercise in the morning, whatever it might be in a fasted state helps kind of rev up metabolism helps, you know, just it, there's a theory that it helps burn fat, you know, who knows? I just know that if I start eating before I go on my walk, I'm less likely to go on a walk because <laughs> I just don't feel like it. <laughs> Your body so, wants to rest and digest. Yeah, and exactly. You're so, shifting gears a little bit there. Yeah. So. so I leave, I go on my walk and, and the funny part about the exercising when you're fasting is that of course, when you start exercising, your body releases endorphins, endorphins suppress appetite. So when I do a little exercise every morning, I'm way less hungry than if I don't. So if I can get myself out the door, go for the walk, then I come back and I'll just drink water and tea and stuff until about 11 or so. Um, I don't normally, normally get up until about eight. So that's not too big of a jump. I, you know, I can make it there by the time I get ready and I start work and all that, then I'm, it's 11 before I know it. And then I usually eat between about 11 and seven is how it works for me. And I noticed that the more frequent, like the more regularly I do it, the less hungry I am. So the first week it might be a little bit challenging, but then you get kind of in the rhythm of it. And I generally eat a a keto diet. I mostly kind of a raw vegan keto is my ideal. But like I said, I've been adding in more meat to counteract my, I I run a little bit low on the iron, Mm -hmm. but if you also, if you eat, if you, if you're designed to eat more of a paleo or keto diet, which is less carbs and more proteins and fats, 
then eating that way can make intermittent fasting even easier, but not everyone's designed for that either. Some people are designed to eat more carbohydrates. So it really just depends on what your body likes, but giving your body that break every day, I just feel so much better, so much better. I, when I've done it, I would say the same thing, you know, just Mm -hmm. that like, okay, it can be a little challenging at first to find the Mm -hmm. rhythm and, you know, it's easier now with COVID because you don't have the social interactions that you have around food and going out or eating at different times, but you know, it's not being rigid around it It is being a little forgiving with yourself and going, Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, some days it's like, well, I went 12 hours and other days it's like, yeah, it was easy to go 14. And some days, you know, it's like, I'm feeling so good. I'll go 16, but you know, it's, Mm -hmm as long as I can kind of consistently say to that 12, um, yeah. I've noticed the big difference and that's mm-hmm. that consistency has been big for me. Mm-hmm. You were talking about this customized approach for eating, you know, that everybody has something different. And I know in working with you, that's one of the things that I really appreciated was mm-hmm. that your ability to kind of do this evaluation assessment and really look at like, what are the foods that are right for you? Mm-hmm. Because so much, so many of these diets out there are this one size fits all approach that, you know, this worked for me. And so therefore it works for everybody. And a lot of them don't work for everybody. And you're actually missing out on things that you need or eating yeah. too much of stuff that you shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. So can you share a little bit about your approach? Um, you know, kind of the different things that you look for to help kind of customize that diet for somebody? Yeah, of course. So the first thing is always blood type. I have found so consistently that people very much depending on their blood type, tend to prefer to eat a certain way and tend to do better on eating a certain way. For example, if you have an O blood type, they really thrive off having animal products in their diet. They've just, I'm not necessarily dairy, but, but meat, animal meat. Mm-hmm. I've yet to meet somebody who's a type O who doesn't thrive off of high level of animal protein. I'm sure you could find other ways if you really feel like you need to eat a vegan diet, but generally that's the case. Um, whereas people who are type A generally tend to thrive off of a vegan diet. You know, so it's really just depends um, what your body type is. So like, uh, for example, type Bs tend to do really well on dairy. So they can eat a lot of dairy, whereas type As really don't thrive on dairy. So it's a really interesting how it corresponds to the kinds of foods that generally or don't generally work for those people. Also, it helps understand how people should exercise. So type O's need a lot of heavy, sweaty exercise. Type A's need a lot of more meditative, slow yoga walks kind of exercise to thrive. And it's, it's really kind of fascinating. It's been very consistent over the years when I talk to people about their blood type, what is the kind of exercise they need? Type B's, interestingly, need a social exercise. They need to walk with friends. They okay. need to go on the treadmill with a TV in front of them. <laughs> they like to go dancing with, they like to play sports. You know, they really thrive off of a social aspect. The other kind of exercise is boring to them. You send them on a run, they're going to be like, no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> All, I mean, yeah. this is really important because the more we understand mm-hmm. ourselves, the more we're going to set ourselves up for success. Yeah, exactly. And so there's the blood type. Then the next thing I look at is their metabolic type, which is not how fast their metabolism is. It's more about how their body processes glucose carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So if they ate something that's carb heavy, let's say they ate a bowl of brown rice, how fast does their insulin and blood sugar react to that? And some people are very, very fast, like their blood sugar spikes or insulin kicks in and it's a kind of a roller coaster. And some people are very slow. That process is very slow. And so that really determines whether a person can eat some carbohydrates, usually always more complex carbohydrates, not simple carbohydrates like sugar, but more like Mm -hmm. whole grains. 
or if they should have a very low carb diet. And I know for me, for example, I'm a type A, I do really well on a vegan diet, but I'm a very, very fast metabolic processor, meaning that like I have a little bit of sugar, my blood sugar spikes, insulin kicks in, knocks it down, and I'm in a blood sugar roller coaster from hell instantly. So for me, it's very important to not eat a lot of carbohydrates, you know, high fat and protein, but I also don't do well in the past on meat so much. So mm -hmm. I've eaten a lot of, you know, dark leafy greens and nuts and things to really balance that out. So between those two, that's what gives a good picture of where people should kind of be. And then I also look at their Ayurvedic type. So how do they hold their energy in their body? Are they more airy and, and kind of not grounded or are they very grounded and like almost like stagnant? And when you look at that, you can see what kinds of foods should they eat? Should they be eating lighter foods? Should they be eating more grounding foods to balance? It's all about balancing the energy. Uh, one of the things that I loved about our consultations was that you mm -hmm. looked at these different types. You didn't look at just any one of these markers or one of these systems. You looked at yeah. all of them and mm -hmm. then you could really see the patterns. You could see the overlap and it really tells a story that does fit each individual person mm -hmm. um, in a way that so you just, you know yourself better. So you can start to make better choices. Yeah. And I found also pretty consistently that everyone I ever talked to about this is that there wasn't any information that I was giving them that they were like, really, I never thought about that before. Almost every person was like, gosh, that's how I want to eat. But I've been told that that's bad for me or I should eat this way. And so they follow their head and not their intuition. So really this information usually just empowers people to follow their own guidance you know, and how they should eat, you know, other factors that I think are less important, but still important are, you know, their ancestry, where mm -hmm. your ancestors from, what kinds of foods were good for them, the foods your grandparents ate, you know, could also be good foods for you. Also, what, what period of life you're in, you know, like, are you in a growing phase or reducing phase? Are you, you know, like, I'm going through a period where I'm like just at the very beginning of perimenopause. So I'm starting to look at how I eat a little bit differently as my body starts this shift, which is kind of an unknown territory for me at this point. You know, are you pregnant? Are you not? Are you trying to gain muscle? Are you trying to lose weight? Is it summer? Is it winter? You know, are you, what's, what part of your cycle are you on? If you're, if you're a menstruating woman, you know, they're all very, um, important on what kinds of food you eat because they'll shift depending on what season of your life you're in, which is really- so Once again, it's taking that holistic approach and it's looking at your whole lifespan. It's looking at, you know, not just your lifespan, but your ancestral lifespan and, mm -hmm. you know, where the, the environment that you live in and all of those different pieces to mm -hmm. really kind of find like, hey, what's my place right now? Yeah. And one of the interesting things that I'm noticing, I've been on this journey now for gosh, 22 years, almost 23 years. And one thing that's been very consistent is that every time I get to a point where I'm like, this is exactly what works for me. This is exactly what works. As soon as <laughs> it you figure it out, then it changes. It will it's change. like parenting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like all of a sudden, you know, I dropped sugar and I got rid of sugar. I dropped 10 pounds and I was like, oh, great. I'm here. And then like, I'll slowly gain the weight back and I'll be like, well, why did I gain? The I don't know. And then I'll do something else and drop. Cause I'm a person who kind of my weight fluctuates a bit. I'm not a naturally thin person. I'm kind of medium size, but it does fluctuate 10, 15 pounds at any given point. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so one thing I'll drop weight on, but then I'll slowly gain it and then I'll do something else and then I'll feel really good. And then I won't feel good. <laughs> it's just, it's a journey. It is literally never ending. 
you know, and my theory is that our bodies, my theory about why that is, is that our bodies want to be healthy. They want to eat food from nature. They want to be aligned with nature. And so you give them a little bit of health and it's like, oh, this is good. Okay. You ready for the next step? <laughs> and then you have to align even more, you know? And so it's that fine tuning, you know, it's, it, I do it yeah. with clients. It's like, you know, we get the big things cleared up and then, you know, it becomes yeah. more and more detail, more and more. Yeah. And our bodies really like it. And, and also very consistent with me and other people that I've worked with is that, you know, once you get something really tuned up, the body does not like going back. So once you get off sugar, it's not like I, if I ate sugar now, I get the same reaction as I got 20 years ago. I would probably vomit. You know what I mean? <laughs> My body would be just an absolute no to that. To that, that high yeah. performance sports car. You know, <laughs> I mean, if you're driving around in your old beat up Toyota, you know, and the alignment's off a little bit, you're like, eh, you don't notice so much. Yeah. But, you know, if you're going 160 miles an hour in your Ferrari and the mm -hmm. alignment's off a little bit, you notice. Yeah. And so that's the case. I, I, I can't, I can't even eat a little bit out of whack and my body has a reaction. So, you know, but I trust it. It's helped, kept me healthy all these years. You know, there's lots and lots of benefits to it. Some people say, you know, say like, oh, I, I eat very restricted. I don't feel like I'm eating restricted at all. I feel like I'm eating in alignment with how to look and feel the best that I possibly can and how to be the healthiest I can. Great. I just want to touch on this one concept before we okay. kind of start to wrap things up here, but you talk about in your introduction, this concept of embodied sensuality. Mm -hmm. Can you tell our little audience a little bit more about what that means for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, it just means like feeling my body and really trusting that my body has a lot of intelligence, you know, before I switched the way I was eating, I didn't even know what sensuality meant. I was very in my head. I was a lawyer. I didn't really notice my body really. Mm -hmm. And now I trust my body's intelligence even more than my head sometimes. So it also means like feeling my body. I try to move my body every day in a way that feels good, which is different for everybody. I dance, I walk, I stretch, I do various things. I have a rebounder. I love jumping on my rebounder. And, you know, also like noticing, how do you feel? Like, how does, you know, like, how is my, like various parts of my body feeling, um, I only wear materials that feel really good, like essentially on my skin. I love, you know, eating foods that are pleasurable, pleasurable to me, but visually and taste wise, I, I view taste as being an incredible indicator of whether a food is good for my body or not. Now that only applies to whole foods mm -hmm. because processed foods are manipulated for us to taste good. But if I'm eating a whole food and I'm like, oh my God, oh, <laughs> you know, that persimmon is just Okay. That's a good food for me to eat. But I've had other foods where I had a very normal food last week. I forget. It was some kind of like a blue algae in the past that my body has reacted to very well. I put it in my mouth and I felt like I was going to vomit instantly. And I spit it out and I was like, nope, that's not what I want. So it's trusting my body. It's trusting my senses, smell, taste, visual, you know, how, and also like you said, like embodied sensuality, how things feel in my skin, like really letting my body experience pleasure in various ways. I love, I, you know, if I could paint my whole place red, I would, I have, you know, red couches. <laughs> I love deep reds are my favorite. So I have a lot of red in my life because it just makes me feel really good. It makes my body feel good to be around red. <laughs> um, I just really like, um, you know, I feel like such a part of a healthy body is feeling pleasure in our bodies. And that doesn't necessarily just mean, you know, sexual pleasure. It means how we eat, how we feel, how we move. Just, I feel like it just brings, and even our posture can bring so much, a 
our posture is so important, right? As bringing yeah. that like sensual aspects. If we have bad posture and we're standing here, our bodies get very angry and doesn't feel good. But well, if- and it impacts our digestion. It impacts digestion. your breathing. I mean, everything that happened in your body is a chemical process. And yeah. you know, what we've been talking about is what are the chemicals we're putting into our body? Mm-hmm. What do we want to try to eliminate from our system? You know, and what do we want to put in that's going to make our system feel good? Because it is that the senses are, you know, your sight, your sound, touch, mm-hmm. uh, hearing, smell. And so, you know, when we develop those relationships with food, when we smell it and know like, oh yeah, that smells so good, mm-hmm. you know, and we taste it and it tastes good. And, you know, yeah. we put it in our mouth and we like the texture and, you know, we really slow down to savor it and let our body digest it. And, um, then we start to develop those relationships and then we can start to notice what I, what do I like and what do I not? But mm-hmm. If we're just shoving food in for fuel and we're not taking time to eat it and appreciate it and really notice, then we don't necessarily notice like, oh, hey, I felt good before that. And then I ate this and then I feel bad afterwards. Totally. And I noticed when I, when I didn't used to eat good foods in my body, I didn't used to move my body in a good way. I did feel shut down sexually. Mm-hmm. I really did. And once I started eating healthier foods. My body started to open up. I could feel all the channels. I could feel my body again. Like all of that opened up for me as well. Like my body just became much more open and much more sexual if that felt right. But it wasn't, um, it wasn't hard to access. It was just something that was within me and happening because as the, as my body started to be healthier, all of the energy channels in my body were feeling healthier, you know, and it was just, it was incredibly illuminating to me to realize that connection. Yeah. If we look at kind of the wheel, there's, you know, your physical body, there's your emotional body, your spiritual body and your mental body. And you've shared, you know, on this journey, how things shifted for you, you know, you Mm -hmm. changed your diet and your emotions changed. Mm -hmm. You changed how you thought about, you know, your relationship to things, Mm -hmm. you know, that spiritual clearing that happens, you know, the, the physical changes that you see. And then in the center of that wheel is, you know, that sexual life force energy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we're adding more energy to our system, we're building that life force energy and we're becoming Mm -hmm. more in contact with that sexual sexual life force energy that can be expressed in any of those other aspects of our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's creative energy. It's juice. It's, you know, and it's, uh, even if it's not used in a sexual way, it's, it is life force energy. And it just, I just feel better when it's flowing, you know, in my everyday, it just, it's that definition of wellness. I mean, it's that health and the vitality. Yeah. This has been so much fun. I really enjoyed talking with you. Um, can you leave our viewers with like your top five high performance foods? What are you, what are kind of that you, you kind of notice that are good for everybody? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, vegetables, (laughs) you know, that's like kind of a boring, like, (laughs) but really like the more vegetables people eat, the better, like vegetables should be the core, especially green leafy vegetables in various kinds, green leafy vegetables are kind of the core, you know, of, of everything. I love bee. I call them bee magic foods. You know, I found a local beekeeper where I live. I buy honey from him directly, not the cooked honey you buy in the store. You mm-hmm. want to get like the real raw honey from a local beekeeper. They're happy to sell it to you. And it's cheaper than what you can get at the store. You know, he also gives me um, bee pollen. So I buy fresh bee pollen from him, which is just a completely different experience than what you buy in a store. I literally just scoop it into my mouth. Bee pollen is like the, the, it's like the, it's like the multivitamin of the natural world, you know, like they don't even know what's in bee. They can't even measure with, with Western, you know, science what's in bee products because they're so magical. Bees are just amazing. 
Well, there's, there's, can... they're, they're the pollinators. I mean, they, yeah. they, go, they bring all of those plants to life. I mean, they, they, they bring the seeds to them, you know, I mean, they, the flowers yeah. and that's what helps turn it into the fruit and the seeds and the nuts and all of this. It's other so things. magical. And when I can get my hands on fresh royal jelly, that's like it. That's you amazing. Know? It's so good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's my, that's one of my favorites. So anything that's bee related, I find is just really, really super magical, but the good stuff, you know, from a local mm -hmm. beekeeper is, is ideal. Mushrooms. Like not just your little white mushrooms, but all the really like, you know, shiitakes and the like all the weird ones in the store. A couple of years ago, I, I um, went on a little bit of a journey where I decided to try all the weird mushrooms at the health food store. And I did. I tried them all and I would cook them in various ways. I would I make my own bone broth. So I would like mm -hmm. cook them in my bone broths. And it was amazing. I had no idea the variety of mushrooms were out there and some of them didn't taste anything like those little white button things they yeah. were incredible and the different textures and they really did replace for me at the time what like the heartier food that I was missing from meat and I'm not a I'm not a good candidate for tofu because I run a little estrogen dominant so I try to stay away from those kinds of estrogen foods but it really provided that like depth to a vegetable dish, the mushrooms. Those mushrooms are very, they're earthy and they're they, earthy. they really are transformers. I mean, they do amazing yeah. things in the environment. And yeah. And they're, and they're so magical. I mean, the movie that came out this last year, it was called um, Fungi. Mycelium uh, and something. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. It's a movie with the, the fungi. Anyway, mushrooms are magical. I mean, just incredible. Mycelium is the largest organism on the planet. What you see in the mushrooms are just the little flower that pops out of the mycelium, but the mycelium are like the, what's underground and connects everything like the internet. It's like the plant internet, you know? And so it also in mushrooms, they say that there are nutrients in them that they, that we can't actually measure. Mm -hmm. And so I just feel when I eat a wide variety of mushrooms that I'm getting nourished at a level that I don't fully understand. And it just feels really good, but you do have to cook them because the, the outside of them needs to be broken down. The cell walls need to be broken down a bit. So cooking them and adding them and trying all of the weird ones is what I highly recommend. And don't <laughs> pick them yourself unless you know what you're doing because a lot of them are very dangerous. <laughs> but <laughs> So mushrooms, let's see what else. You know, another thing is I really love adaptogenic herbs. Like I brew adaptogenic herbs in the morning, like coffee. Um, there's a company called Rasa and R-A-S-A. And they make this adaptogenic herb blend that I, and I, and I brew it like coffee in the morning and then I bulletproof it with some MCT oil and I put, throw a little, I throw a little cacao in there and have a little other herbs and some stevia. It is it's so delicious that my 16 year old son begs me to make it and, and have him do it too. But adaptogenic <laughs> herbs, they really kind of help balance. They give you energy without the caffeine and just like their name, they sort of just balance whatever needs to be balanced in your system. It's also a little bit magical, I think. So, you know, if you're looking for a coffee, I can't drink coffee. It's too acidic for my system. And I do like a little caffeine and I definitely like an energy boost. So I found that adapt adaptogenic herbs can be really, really magical addition to like a morning drink. And then I think the last thing would be just check your water source. You know, I personally have street have, have um, springs nearby. So I go and fill up about 90 gallons of spring water about once every six weeks. And it's all that I use for cooking and drinking. And I've been doing it for about eight years. Um, not everyone has that luxury, but there's a website called find, findaspring.com. And you can see if there's a local spring near you where you can get, I call it fresh squeezed water, you know, earth blood. <laughs> 
And a lot of them people test on a regular basis or you can have it tested. But the one I get from is like perfect water. It's like perfect. And it's full of minerals and and once again, it's from yeah. your local land, you it's know, local it, land, it, it's, right? it's that environment that you're in. And yeah, so it's it's, a lot of that's going to help support you with the tap water. Yeah, things. exactly. Tap water is, has stuff in it. They have to put stuff in it to make it so that it's won't, won't be bad for you when it goes through all the pipes. Right. But it's not great. And there are things in there that can actually be dangerous to your body. So it's important to test your tap water. If you can only get tap water to filter it in some way with a good filter or to find an alternative source, like a spring that's free. You know, it's like just water flowing out of the earth. It's so cool. Anyway, I find that another kind of almost spiritual experience. Of I think we could do a whole episode on water Yeah, <laughs> I think because there's so many options out there and so much of, mm-hmm. yeah. So that would be fascinating to maybe have another talk with you around water. Yeah. I just want to thank you for being on the show. I mean, today we talked about, you know, reading labels and avoiding those processed foods with lots of additives, toxins, chemicals, mm-hmm. and instead focusing on whole foods finding the diet that's customized for your individual body, finding the rhythm for eating, you know, the time of day, uh, the time of year, focusing on a variety of foods in our diet, eating the rainbow, eating in moderation, really listening to our bodies and just eating just as much as what our bodies need. Um, Mm -hmm. And not, not what we think we are supposed to have or what we've been told we're supposed to have, you know, so it's not really eating from our minds. Um, Mm -hmm. There's so much information out there that kind of tells us what to eat or when to eat but that really tuning into our bodies and eating from there and then really slowing down, exploring our body's sensual relationship with food. Thank you so much for being on the show, Mia. Can you tell our uh, viewers where they can find out more information about uh, what you're offering into the world? Yeah. So my website is uh, Mia Cara wellness. That's M I A C A R A wellness.com. And uh, there'll be more information on there. You can connect with me um, on my list, get on my list there where I'll be sending out more information about the programs that are coming up fantastic. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Holistic High Performance Podcast. You can find all the past episodes of the show by visiting holistichighperformance.com. Please subscribe to the show to listen to future episodes. We release new episodes every Monday and Thursday. This show would not be possible without the help of our team. We wish to thank our executive assistant, Harlow Brummett Dunn, our producer and chief technical officer, Dan Harmon of DH Productions, our podcast mentor, Angel B. Hartwell, the host and executive producer of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast. Our theme music was composed and arranged by Luca Millard Kish. On behalf of the whole team, we wish to thank you, our listeners.